0: Do you have a picture in your mind of what our Lord Jesus looks like? You know, we may be influenced by how artists through the generations have tried to portray Him, but they all fall short of the word pictures that Scripture uses to describe Him. Welcome to Through the Bible, I'm Steve Schwetz. In our study of Song of Solomon today, Jesus is compared to a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley, and an orange tree with large healthy fruit and flowers that you can smell a block away. Our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, invites you to come aboard the Bible bus as we travel through the land of Israel and look closely at the beautiful scenery outside our window. The flowers, the fruit trees that all speak to us of the loveliness of Christ. So turn in your Bible to Song of Solomon, Chapter 2, and here's a quick intro to set the stage.
1: The Song of Solomon, as you have now discovered, is made up of little folk songs that don't seem to have any connection at all. They do tell a story, and I trust that we're seeing that story. They're very intimate and very personal, and they're only for those who can receive them. We do not know what tune they were written to. It's quite interesting that there must have been a tune set for the Song of Solomon, and also for David's psalm. But we do not know what it was, that the Spirit of God is kept from us. And I think there's a reason for that. It's to keep our mind on the Word and not upon the music part, not upon the tune.
0: That's a great goal, to keep our minds on the Word of God. Now, before we jump into our study, I got just enough time to read a couple of letters to encourage you about how God's using his word all around the world. Federico writes, I'm listening to your program in Portuguese from Brazil. My wife listens in Spanish from our home in Cuba. Today, she asked me to contact you and thank you for giving her life every day through God's word. In Cuba, it is very difficult for her to write or send correspondence, so since I am on a medical mission, she asked me to convey her message. Please pray for us while we are apart that while we listen to god 's word separately, he may sow our hearts together in this time of absence isn 't that a great request to have your hearts sewn together with another believer, especially if it 's your spouse here 's a note from venezuela i 'm a teacher of the Bible school in my church. I work in a group with young teenagers, and listening to your program nourishes me not only in a personal way, but also helps me prepare the lessons. Please pray for the youth to receive God's Word and to follow Him. The pressures and temptations they face are great. Well, you can join us in praying alongside these fellow Bible bus passengers and millions of others when you sign up for the World Prayer Team over at ttb.org. We'll send you an email each weekday that keeps you informed and inspired. So let's prepare our hearts now as we hear from God's Word. Father, it's true. You put a song in our hearts when we trust you. So please help us to turn to you as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now, friends, as it looks, we bog down. And if you want to know the facts, we bog down. But we don't mind it right through here because this is a neglected portion of the Word of God. I dare say that very few of you have ever heard a sermon on the Song of Solomon. I know that when I've preached on it, I always have any number of people say, this is the first time in my life. I ever heard a sermon on it, and that's one of the reasons we're spending time with it. It's a song. It's a poem. It's a lovely thing. And for that reason, it's another way God has a communicating to us today. And its message is a very wonderful message, because what we are told here is the Shulamite girl from up in the hill country of Ephraim, and the shepherd that she meets there is King Solomon. And it's the way that he won her. But all of these different songs, there are five of them here, at least. And there are those that find even more. But I think five is about enough. And in view of the fact, he wrote a thousand and five songs. And these lovely gems, each one of them, depicts a scene from this very wonderful love affair. And it's intimate. It's personal. And it's actually on a very high plane. I want us to come to chapter 2 now. It says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Now, those of you that have my notes know that I've said in the notes here that the bride speaks of herself. She's not boasting, but compares herself to the lowly and humble flowers of that land. Well, that's nice, all right. And the New Schofield Bible puts it down that she is the one that speaks here. Well, I want to say that I believe that what you have here is not her voice now, but it's the voice of the bridegroom. And it's actually the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. If she's speaking, she's merely speaking of a reflected beauty, which would actually apply to him And to him only. Now, he says here, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Now, here you have the Lord Jesus making a statement that, very frankly, you wouldn't find the sons of men today using. He says, for instance, I'm meek and lowly. Now, you put that in my lips or your lips or the lips of the angel Gabriel, And it wouldn't be humility at all. It would be pride. But it is humility from the lips of the Lord Jesus because he stooped in order that he might become meek and lowly. He came down from heaven's glory. And anything beneath that is humility on his part. And he says, you remember, I'm the true shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And that speaks of like of truth and grace. And now he says, I'm the rose of Sharon, and I'm the lily of the valleys. Now, these are not, we believe, the words of the bride, but his words. And I feel like that the translators have tried to make it clear that it's the king speaking, it's the Lord Jesus. And you find that in the old English Bibles that it's said, the voice of Christ and the bridegroom in the French and Italian and Portuguese Bibles, why it's the voice of Christ. And Origen and Theodoret and many of the church fathers applied this to the Lord Jesus here. And I want you to look at this expression, I'm the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Now, these are two very interesting flowers, when you look at them for just a moment here, I suppose that amongst all the flowers, the rose has always been, and everywhere today, and I think especially in the East, it is the one that's at the top of the list of all the flowers. And the rose of Sharon was an unusually beautiful flower. The Valley of Sharon is that coast valley that goes all the way from Joppa up to Haifa. I've traveled the length and the breadth of it several times, and it's always a wonderful trip to make in any season of the year. You can go in the winter, you can go in the spring or summer, fall, and it's interesting. It's a valley today where you see a great many flowers. I have pictures of flowers I took, especially the poppy. And just fields of it. And then there are a great deal of citrus that's grown there. And as you've probably heard, the finest citrus in the world is grown in Israel. Well, that's the valley where you find most of it. And the rose now grows in profusion in that valley. And it is a very beautiful flower that speaks of him. And this is, I think, something quite interesting the rose, though, still has the thorn on it. There are those today that have been developed that does not have the thorn. But even that beautiful thing, the rose, is a reminder that thorns and thistles with this earth bring forth. And I don't think the rose originally had thorns on it. I don't think it was intended to. Now, it's a very wonderful thing here, and it's been expressed by another Like this, an ancient author writes, "...if a king were set over flowers, it would be the rose that should reign over them, being the ornament of the earth, the splendor of plants, the eye of flowers, the beauty of the field." Well, here's something that I think is quite interesting. The Lord Jesus said, "...I'm the bread of life, and that which is necessary." Bread is the staff of life. We need it to hold us up, to keep us going. This is one of the necessities of life. And he is that food for the perishing sinner. And thousands have reached up a dying hand in faith, a feeble hand, and have taken the bread, and they've eaten and they've lived. And he's the true vine. And as the true vine... He gives the glorious, wonderful joy of the Lord. And the Scripture says, strong drink is to be given to them that are ready to perish, and wine to such as of heavy heart. And he doesn't give you the alcoholic beverage. He gives you the real joy of the Lord. But notice, this is something different here. I'm the rose of Sharon. He's presenting himself now not as a necessity, but an object of pure admiration and delight to the children of men. And the Lord Jesus Christ is one that we can just behold him. If there is any purity, any beauty, think on these things, any virtues. He's the rose of Sharon. And you remember he said to his own there, and they were walking, I'm sure, through the fields. And he said, consider the lilies. <laughs> they toil not, neither do they spin. Consider the lilies. Well, I think he'd say to you and me today, consider the rose of Sharon. And he's that rose. Consider him. And that's the invitation that you have in the scripture. You remember, the writer to the Hebrews has that to say. I want to turn over to that, by the way. In the third chapter of Hebrews, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, consider the apostle, high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider him. Consider Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, wonderful picture this is. And here you have not only the green grass that he makes his own set upon, lie down upon green grass, but he also has a bouquet of lovely roses for you, red roses. He shed his blood that you and I might have life. Now, not only that, but he says, I'm the lily of the valleys. Now, I do not know, very frankly just what valley has reference to. The valley of Esdralen has beautiful flowers in it also. And even down uh, along the coast in that part, that's south of Joppa, a lot of beautiful flowers I saw down there. And, very frankly, down in the Jordan Valley, down around the Sea of Galilee, a great many of them. And What was the lily of the valley? Well, now, here again, there is a question just what is really meant here by the lily of the valley. Apparently, it was the iris. The iris grows wild over there. You see a great many of them, and I'm of the opinion that what you have here is this humble plant, this iris, and also the proud rose. You have the rose of Sharon. And you have the lily of the valley. Now, what a beautiful picture this is, actually, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're told something else here. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now, close by these lilies, there are a lot of thorns. And we find the lily, the beauty of it has been made over to the church. Well, this is the way that Bonar expressed it. He says, Close by these lilies there grew several of the thorny shrubs of the desert, but above them rose the lily, spreading out its fresh green leaf as a contrast to the dingy verdure of these prickly shrubs. Like the lily among thorns, so is my love, among the daughters." In other words, amongst the daughters, I think of Jerusalem, why, that's the way that the bride stands out. He is the lily of the valleys, he's pure, he's lovely, he's beautiful, therefore his bride and his sister and his spouse is a lily also because she bears the image of his loveliness and reflects it to man. That's what the church is to do today, to reveal in a world filled with thorns and briars and thistles something of the beauty that is here. What a glorious picture this is. Now, we continue on because something else quite wonderful is said here. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons." I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Now we have here the apple tree among the trees of the wood, and that's a picture of Christ now as an apple tree, and he had a goodly shadow. Now you may wonder what kind of a tree that he's talking about, because actually apples as we know them don't grow in that land. You could grow them. You can grow apples here in Southern California, but very frankly, they're not very good apples. You've got to get up in the cold country to grow apples. Go up in the state of Washington and Oregon, for that matter. Hood River apples and apples from around the Yakima Valley. My, they're delicious. But what's he talking about here? Well, actually, they're citron fruit. He's talking about oranges because the shadow of an orange tree, I have three, In my yard right here in Pasadena, three orange trees. And they make a good shade tree. And my the beauty of them and the wonderful sweetness of orange blossoms in the spring. I just go out in my patio and sit down and smell. (laughs) And what a picture. And after all, orange blossoms are used at weddings, are they not? What a picture you have here. Uh, The bride and the bridegroom... What does he do? Is the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. What a beautiful picture that we have of him here. Now the orange is a yellow fruit, and I personally think it's beautiful. And the citrus grows in the valley of Sharon, by the way. That's where I saw so much citrus fruit growing in that particular area. And That's where these fine, lovely apples that come from Israel grow. Beautiful oranges, citrus apples, if you please. And it's said to be the finest citrus in the world. And it's always grown there. Actually, citrus was transplanted into California years ago. Didn't grow here naturally. Does now, but it didn't originally. But it did in Palestine. That was the place where it grew. Now, she says, yeah, I sat down under a shadow with great delight, and this fruit was sweet to my taste. And if you notice what the orange tree, it's a shade tree, and the fruit is sweet of it, and it also gives shade. The wood of it's not any good for anything I know, but it certainly is a marvelous tree in other connections. And that's exactly the thing that she's talking about here concerning him. Can you think of that? Now, the next time you see an orange, think of Jesus. (laughs) He is the apple tree, the citron apple. And it speaks of the fact that he not only gives shade, but he also is a shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. But also the sweet fragrance of the orange blossom and then the sweetness of the fruit of it. Gives you vitamin C. It's good for you. What a picture that we have here, friends, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's keep right on moving here. And I'm beginning to move out now. And she says, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Brought me to the banqueting house. You remember, the Lord Jesus gave that parable. He said the invited guests, they didn't show up for this marriage supper. So I've sent out invitations on the highways and the byways. And he'll bring you into the banqueting house, bring you in where there's a great spread. It's marvelous food. You talk about smorgasbord. It's on his table today. Everything that can satisfy the human heart is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And today... We find these Christians running around, eating all kinds of scraps, like the prodigal son. They get down sometimes and eat with the pig. Well, my friend, why settle for all of this ersatz food? A great many people think if you go through psychology, you find the answer. And others feel like, well, it's a sort of a psychological gyration. You go through that, you solve your problem. You don't solve your problems that way. He's prepared the banqueting house. And on that, you can get food that contains all of the vitamins that you need. Oh, to be satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ and to revel in him, rejoice in him. I used to enjoy going to banquets. I've been on the banquet circuit so long, friends, that a banquet doesn't excite me anymore. Except the banquet that he prepared. And here, right in this book, just think of the banquet that we're having here, feeding upon him. He's the bread of life. But he's also that sweet fragrance. And he's also the shadow. And he's also a flower. What a picture for our enjoyment, just to behold him. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to spend probably the first million years just bowing before him. It'll take about that long just to come to know him and get acquainted with him. Paul says that I might know him. That was the ambition of his life. Now, to be saved by grace doesn't mean, therefore, to go sit in a corner. Why, my friend, you'll be busier than you've ever been before. Paul says, well, I was willing to go to Damascus under the law and get rid of these Christians. But when I met Jesus Christ, I was willing to go to the end of the world to take his message. You don't work if you're a child of God today, saved by grace? Well, my friend, it gives you an enthusiasm and excitement and a joy that you've never had before. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. And you're invited to the banquet. He sent out the invitation. Now, notice this, verse 5, stave me with flagons, comfort me with apples, with oranges, for I'm sick of love. Oh, how glorious the satisfaction you can find in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, his left hand is under my head. He's able, you see, to save us to the utmost, and his right hand doth embrace me. He can bring you to a place of service, not only keep you from temptation. He's able to do that, but he's got his hands busy today. And trying to protect you and me down here, not just trying, he is able to do that. And now the bride says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor wake my love till he please." Now, my friend, what is it that will wake him up? What is it that would stir him up in his fellowship with you? It's the sin in my life. My waywardness, and we're going to come to that a little later on in this chapter, but we're going to have to wait till next time to do that. Don't stir him up, friends, today. Not only to be satisfied with him, but that he might be satisfied with us today. Now, we're going to pick up right there at verse 8 next time in the Song of Solomon, in chapter 2. Until then, may God bless you, my beloved.
0: Have you found your satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, oftentimes we build walls between our hearts and the satisfaction that God provides. If that's your situation, I'd invite you to lay that all down and come to Jesus. The other reason that you may not have satisfaction in Christ is because you don't know Him as your Savior. If you want to find out more about what that means, you can visit ttb.org and search for How Can I Know God? There you're going to find several free downloadable resources that we've set aside just for you. Or call us at one eight hundred sixty five bible and we'll send you a few in the mail. Now we have many other resources available to help you grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Check them all out yourself over at ttb.org. Now in our next study we're going to learn how the customs of a Jewish wedding give us beautiful insights into Jesus' return for His bride, the church. I'm Steve Schwetz and I'll meet you back here. Go with God today and in the strength of His Spirit. He is with you
1: Jesus,
0: Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.